1: And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so
0: many know, more doors. The show is
1: called The, the Deal. Deal. Listen
0: to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stafford, Brendan Escott, with you, and I hope you're doing well. Uh, we're just working on a couple things as we speak right now. No, don't get too excited yet. We do want to remind you that coming up Friday, we'll have our NHL trade deadline day coverage courtesy of our friends at Pub 1905. I can honestly say I've been there multiple times over the years. Stoney has texted us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line, and Stoney says, Bob, why is Gary Bettman in the city? Well, Gary Bettman does the rounds once a year. He goes to all 32 NHL cities. So I think that's the major reason why Gary Bettman's in the city. There we go. Richard has Texas on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Bob, the owner should call up Calvin Pickard and give him a few games just to make sure that he'd be ready to go if there was an injury to Campbell or Skinner from Richard. I'd say right now the Orders need to get to, uh, Stuart Skinner and uh, Campbell going as well. This texter comes and say, my son played with Chalker. Uh, In Fort Wayne, always said he was a class act on and off the ice. Brendan, I'm receiving a text back here from Joe. Maybe try him again here. We should be okay. He's ready to go. Uh, We're just going to work momentarily in lining up Joe Haggerty. Hacks with Hags from Boston Hockey Now. We'll tell you Royal Pizza's pizza pass and so much more. February is Valentine's Month at Royal Pizza. Enjoy your dinner for two, which includes your choice of salad, one of their gourmet medium pizzas, a delicious dessert, all for just thirty-seven ninety-five. Royal Pizza still making a great. The stoffer recommendation is the Mediterranean chicken. We good to go? Mm. Hold on a sec. Uh, We'll keep banging off some texts then. Uh, Again, you can text us at 780-496-0063. Excite. Excited Don says, Bob, I've noticed that most of the trades of the top teams have involved big physical players, i.e. playoff top performers. I believe the Oilers play uh, to a a system in the defensive end and do not realize who are the most dangerous players on the ice. Their only real weakness on the offensive end is not enough systematic play uh, with the third and fourth liners. Not being able to kill off minutes and wear down opponents is a serious Oilers weakness. Well, again, I believe Edmonton is uh, shopping for potentially a second-pairing left-shot defenseman, and then we'll add a bottom six forward with some size. That is my prediction. Yes, I would have loved Sam Lafferty. Uh, maybe not Garnet Hathaway as much, uh, nor Dimitri Orloff, but you cannot argue with the work that Boston Bruins general manager Don Sweeney has put in over the last couple of years' worth of the trade deadline, getting Taylor Hall, who he subsequently signed, as well as Hampus Lindholm. And to discuss that is our Oilers now headliner today for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W L W I L H A U K today. That's Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Sorry, Trent. Uh, we are pleased to be headed on the River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline. Returning to the show. The greatest writer that's ever lived, or something like that, Joe Haggerty. Hacks with Hags uh, from Boston Hockey Now. Joe, how you doing?
1: Bob, what's up? That's the first time I've ever been sponsored by Beef Jerky. Very, very big moment for me.
0: That's, if, if all I'm gonna say is I know Trent and I know you, and uh, and I know and we're all kind of built alike. Okay, that's all. I, <laughs> that's right. And Trent would be you out here in that. All right. Uh, so it's this got to be a real crappy thing to be a writer that covers the Boston Bruins. The team is 45-8-3, plus 95 goal differential, third in goals for, first in goals against, first in the penalty kill, first in face-offs, and they have a 9:29 percentage which is 0.11 percent higher than any other team in the national hockey league like do these guys ever lose or what's going on here no i mean look from a writer's perspective from
1: a reporter's perspective you just hope that a team is really really good or really really bad as long as they're doing something interesting and (laughs) you know they've they they, are they they've filled out the really really good part of the equation all season long you know i Obviously, uh, I thought they were going to be a playoff team at the start of the year. I think most people did. They had, you know, good bones of a of a roster for a playoff team, especially with uh, Bergeron coming back and Krejci coming back. But like you know, th- there's been a few different areas, three or four, five key places where things have just gone extremely well uh, for the Boston Bruins this season, and and just pushed them into that elite category where they're chasing records now for the best NHL regular season uh, team of all time. So it's been fun to watch, but, you know, from from the new coaching staff, from Hampus Lindholm uh, being here for a full season, from Linus Elmark, Elmark um, playing like a Vesna Trophy winner and really quieting any criticism of that contract when he first got signed here, Uh, um, to Krejci and Bergeron coming back. uh, There's been a lot of things you can look at and say, yeah, this is why we're looking
0: at a team that's just dominating other teams right now. All right, Joe. So let's start with this. A decision was made. I believe coaches have a shelf life. Bruce Cassidy is obviously a pretty good coach. But David Krejci was gone for a year. Jake Dabrusk had a trade request in play. Uh, Bergeron was up in the air. They get Bergeron and Krejci combined at $3.5 million. Now, I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, those guys are worth $12.5 to $13.5 million bucks. Maybe one guy at $7.5, one guy at 5 How much? Yep. How much of what happened here was just, did they need a little bit of a, a change with the coaching staff? Was that part of a factor for maybe why they got some of these guys on board?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think, you know, it goes beyond, uh, just a brusque. You know, I think guys like Connor Clifton, uh, Trent Frederick, Brandon Carlo, Nick Fellino certainly there, there was a bunch of guys, I think that kind of chased at times uh, under Bruce Cassidy last year, certainly, and maybe the last couple of years, uh, and, and are different, seemingly different players this year under a different coach. So I think the message part of it, and uh, you know, the change from Bruce Cassidy part of it, certainly factors into it. And I really think the other part of it is just the overall philosophy uh, blending with the personnel that they have, and sort of meshing with what they're trying to do. You know, they've gone from the years past where Bruce Cassidy had a, a shot volume philosophy, uh, funneling pucks at the net, you know, throwing everything at the net, creating rebounds, chaos in the other team's zone, uh, to, to Uh, Jim Montgomery really preaching uh, quantity over quality uh, quality over quantity and preaching hanging on to pucks, creating plays you know, really being patient and and creative with the puck Uh, it's a whole different way uh, of playing And, and really you see it too with the defenseman, right? Like In the offensive zone, the weak side defenseman plays all the way down by like the faceoff dot, uh, you know, way down by the net, not out by the blue line where they customarily would be, uh, you know, in years past, in which most NHL teams have their defensemen, you know, conservatively playing out that way. Uh, His aggressive offensive mindset and philosophy, I think, has really gotten this team excited to play. And there's a part of it, too, where it's, you know, it's back to a sort of team first mentality when it it could be about the individuals a little bit before. And I think that's been noticed as well you know I think some bench guys and some lower line guys and you know lower pairing guys maybe felt um, like they weren't a part of it in years past or a little bit removed and I think everybody feels a part of this team this year and that's you know from the coach all the way down through the leadership to everybody else I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here is in conversation with business icons
0: We're joined right now by Joe Haggerty from Boston Hockey Now. Joe, uh, two years ago, they picked up Taylor Hall at the deadline. Then they got him signed to a four-year extension at $6 bucks. Last year, they orchestrated a deal. and got Hampus Lindholm, who's a hell of a defender, and got him yep. done eight years at $6.5 million. Of course, they got McAvoy. He's on the first year of a $9.5 million deal. But I'm looking at Hall and Lindholm, and now Orlov and Hathaway. If I'm a player in the Boston lineup, I'm loving the work that the GM's doing at the deadline here, Don Sweeney. Your thoughts? Yeah, no question. No question. And
1: I think the the Hampus Lindholm one last year is really a game changer for the Bruins. You know, to, to bring in a player of that caliber. And I saw some Anaheim games. I didn't. I'm not going to say I lie and tell you I watched every Anaheim game. So I had no idea that Lindholm was as good as he is. You know, I, you didn't see it as much with the Ducks. Uh, their talent level obviously is a little bit lower than the Bruins. Um, But, you know, having another stud number one level defenseman along with McAvoy at the top of their back end Uh, it creates matchup problems with all the other teams where they can't match that. You know, it gives them something that almost no other team has. And I remember earlier this year, uh, talking about McAvoy and Lindholm together, it sort of conjured up images of the old Ducks teams that had Pronger and Niedemeyer, these two stud defensemen that could play 30 minutes a night in the playoffs and led them to a cup. And it's kind of that situation with the Bruins now, where these guys play off situations, they're in the primes of their careers, they're going to play close to 30 minutes a night in the playoffs, and they're really going to be able to control games uh, with those two defensemen, so that one alone has been a big deal. But you add in Taylor Hall, and as you said, the one thing you could look at this team and say uh, they might have problems in the playoffs because they don't have enough, you know, physical heavy players that are going to be real pain in the butts to play against in the postseason. Uh, they have some, but I, I think I was uh, I would say not enough. And then you add Orlov, and you add Hathaway, two guys that absolutely fit that bill—heavy uh, physical players. Hathaway just uh, leads the would lead the Bruins by hits by a ton, and as uh, you know, Bruins players know his M.O because they've been on the receiving end of a lot of his heavy hits over the years. So you, you put a player like that in there that can also kill penalties and play a nice bottom six role, and Orlov is a top four defenseman, can play 20 minutes a night, can move the puck can do things offensively, and also is a fire hydrant, 5'11", 215 pounds, and you know, a couple of years ago in the playoffs, he knocked Kevin Miller out of the playoffs with a big hit in a playoff series against the Bruins, so they remember that as well. You add those two players to what the Bruins already have, and uh, it's a perfect fit and example. Exactly what they needed. And you really got to give Don Sweeney and the Bruins front office credit uh, they've hit home runs the last three or four trade deadlines in a row, and it just keeps coming.
0: Well, you, you know, 5'11", 2'15", fire hydrant. I mean, I was built like that, unfortunately. That was back in 1989. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Too much beef jerky, Bob. <laughs> and lots of other things, trust me. I've heard every ounce of it. All right. So, uh, look, uh, i got to ask you about the, I don't know, 9 to $11 million question. What's going to happen with pasta? Yeah.
1: I still think it's eight years, 11 million a year, 88 million for number 88 when it gets said and done. It's it's somewhere the Bruins did not want to go, but they're going to have to go uh, to keep him. And I, and I think part of what's going on here is he wants to, Pasternak wants to continue to see, you know, uh, make sure all the ducks are in a row with this team when he has the leverage right now uh, to sort of, you know, see it, the direction it's going and make sure it's where he wants to sign on long-term and that they're going to be a contender every uh, single year before he signs on the dotted line and you know the Bruins I think up until this contract were one of those teams that really uh, believed I think in uh, the the theory going around the NHL that you're not going to win a cup if you have a player making more than $10 million a year on the salary cap because no team has done that yet and it just doesn't allow you to build enough quality deep roster uh, to win a cup Uh, but I think that just goes out the window uh, with a player like Pasternak you can't replicate his goal-scoring, game-breaking ability. You have to pay for that skill. Uh, he's going to end up as one of the best goal scorers, if not the best goal scorer in Boston Bruins history, uh, and you got to pay for that. And I think that $11 million a year is market value for a player like that, and I think $88 million for 88 has got nice symmetry.
0: Uh, no surprise that Nebraskas bounced back the way he has. Well, I, you know what I, I mean. Some surprise, right? I,
1: the talent's always been there, um, but I think he's playing the best he's ever played. You know, to, to say that he was going to play this way it would be an automatic. I think was I don't know that a lot of people
0: would have thought or said
1: that outside of you know, his family in Edmonton, obviously that are big fans and
0: rightfully so. And and, uh, and maybe the guy interview because you know we've talked about this in the past, right? I just yes. thought you know, if, and uh, hey. I mean, I thought... Well, I, Bob, I include you as part of the family, oh. the brass family out there at Edmonton. So. Okay. Uh, right.
1: but, but I think, you know, watching him play this year, crashing the net, heavy on the forecheck at times, playing through injuries like he broke his... Uh...
0: Did we lose, Joe? It says he's on the line. Did he accidentally hit the mute button, maybe? He was talking about Jake DeBrusque. We are run- You guys there? Yeah, we got you now. Sorry, you're you're saying hey. with DeBrusque, crashing the net is the <laughs> last thing you said. Crash in the net, uh, you know, playing through that broken
1: bone in the foot in his foot in the third period of the Winter Classic to score two goals and win the game like being heavy on the forecheck. Things that at times he didn't do in the past, he's doing all that stuff now and being such an impactful player. Uh, it's like it's a, it's kind of like part of it is the natural maturity I think of him in the age that he is, 25-26. You know, he's coming full round into a complete player that he he flashed at times, but was not consistently that guy. You know, to say he was definitely going to be there, I'm not sure everybody saw that. But the talent clearly that was always there, and now it's just fully fleshed out as a well-rounded uh, pro talented, all-star-level hockey player that's just doing it on a nightly basis, and it's great to see, because he's a good kid.
0: Yeah, well, and they got, I mean, look, when you're when you're rolling with Taylor Hall and Jake DeBrusque, you got the big three there, right, with Paston, Bergeron, and Marchand. We haven't even talked about Marchand, and then you got Hall and DeBrusque sort of as their fourth or fifth best forwards. That's a pretty good team, not to mention, I mean, just, they're built top to bottom, and that's where I want to go next, just to wrap up. I mean, it is yep. a virtual... The West hasn't, like, just Joe, I don't know if you saw the tweet, but the Edmonton Oilers, since Jay Woodcroft took over a year ago in February, have the best record in the Western Conference. None of the West yeah. teams have loaded up at all yet. Yet and Every day, you know, one of Boston, Toronto, or Tampa makes a deal, and you go, wow. I mean, the Maple Leafs have added Ryan O'Reilly, uh, Achari, who you <laughs> know well is a fourth-line center, good face-off guy, good PK guy. Today they, yep. they get Lafferty, who, who I personally love, And they add McCabe on the back end. Boston's added Orlov um, as well as Hathaway. Tampa Bay makes a mammoth deal yesterday to get some more speed and toughness in their lineup. I don't think Tampa's done. The question is, is Boston done in this arms race?
1: Uh, I, I think they are. I don't think they can add much more. I mean, maybe they have another creative move up their sleeve where they can clear some cap space to do something. But, like, let's be honest, they needed you know, a third team uh, to broker this deal that they made with the Washington Capitals, uh, to make the cap numbers work. So I'm I'm not sure if they're gonna be able to do that. But you're what, what you're saying about the Eastern Generals, absolutely right. I mean we're you know, supposedly the Rangers are, you know, in Patrick Kane and Timo Meyer going to New Jersey like there's all kinds of craziness going on in the Eastern Conference where teams are all loading up. And I think part of it is just the teams know that they're going to need more if they're going to beat the Boston Bruins in the playoffs based on the way this season has gone, and especially now that the Bruins have added two complementary pieces. they're Really, they made a roster that was already beating almost every team in the NHL, pretty much every team in the NHL, in the third period because their depth just overwhelms other teams. Their roster is just deeper, as you said. When you can go down the line and Taylor Hall is like on the third line and Jake Debrusk is one of your fifth or sixth best wingers, Uh, Other teams can't match that along with the defenseman that we talked about before. And to add to that, to bring Hathaway and Orlov into that, uh, it just makes it that much more of a tall order for any team to beat them in the postseason because their roster is so deep. Even if they get a couple injuries, they're still going to be deeper than any other team they're playing against.
0: Yeah, well, uh, it's going to be a major undertaking. Edmonton in the next seven games, Joe, gets Boston twice, Toronto twice, Winnipeg slumping, but they get them back-to-back, and Connor Hellebuck stoned Edmonton earlier this season a game where the Oilers outshot them 2-1. to uh, yep. And then they go to Buffalo, who... <laughs> Can score, just like the Oilers. So talk about a major undertaking. The Oilers got a major undertaking. Wrap that up with Dallas. So they play eight really good teams in a row here. Thanks for joining us here in Oilers now, and I look forward to seeing you in Beantown in about a week and a half. You got it, Bob. Take it easy, bud. You bet. That is Joe Haggerty. Hacks with Hags from Boston Hockey now. 151 in Edmonton, we go to this day in Oilers history. It is presented by New West Travel. You can travel to California this April to see the Oilers play the Kings and the Ducks. New West Travel, newwesttravel.com. We're going to go back in the state. Brendan, I can tell you exactly where I was because I got a call that morning. What do you got? Oilers trading Tom Gilbert to the Wilds in exchange for Nick Schultz. Uh, Schultz played parts of three seasons here in Edmonton. He scored 17 points across 128 games. Yeah, Schultz was a very good number two defenseman out of the Prince Albert Raiders for a number of years with the Minnesota Wild organization. Was sort of a uh, four or five D man for the Edmonton Oilers. Here's what we got rolling at 153 in Edmonton. Uh, the face-off show: Reed Wilkins, Rob Brown, Jack Michaels, Cam Moon calling tonight's game. Uh, Brendan Escott and myself, I'll be joining Reed at 5.05, puck drop at 6.30. I believe the commissioner is coming on with Reid Wilkins during the course of tonight's game as well. Gary Bettman is in town for a visit. Tomorrow, daily face-offs. Frank Saravali for the horses and horse racing Alberta. Find event schedules at thehorses.com and we'll see you at the races. We will head off to a global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson, followed by Rob Breckenridge in 2-3, then Chelsea. On six thirty, Chad with Chelsea Byrne today at uh, three oh five, and uh, Reed, welcome to myself will join you live from Studio ninety nine at five oh five. So long, everybody.